Welcome to How to Eat Less Water, the podcast for anyone who's concerned about the state of our environment and wants to live more sustainably, but is short on either time, money, ideas, or all three. I'm your host, Florencia Ramirez, author of the award-winning book, Eat Less Water, and a kitchen activist. I share bite-sized action steps anyone can implement in their kitchen. Why the kitchen? The average person eats between 500 to 1,300 gallons of virtual water every day. Our food is the best place to turn our hope for a better environment into action. Now, let's dig in and grow well-being together. Welcome to the How to Eat Less Water podcast. I'm your host, Florencia Ramirez. Today I'm going to talk about food waste and specific to Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, which is fast approaching and right now is exactly the time to start thinking about the action tips I'm going to offer in this episode because I know at least for myself, this is the time I'm thinking about What am I going to shop for? What is my menu? Who is coming over? Is it going to be a small gathering, a large gathering? Like right now is the time. Thanksgiving for me is a really beautiful holiday. It's a time to get together, to gather around the table, to give thanks for all that we have right now in the present moment. It's not It's an opportunity to not think about all the things that we want, which tends to be the case for Christmas, which is very much around gift giving and consumerism. But Thanksgiving is about the food and the sharing of food and the cooking together as a a family or as a community. It's also donating our time and food to others who don't have as much to bring to their own tables. It's a great holiday, but it also is steeped in so much waste. So much food waste is generated on Thanksgiving. So take some of these totals. On Thanksgiving, we throw away in the United States 305 million pounds of food. That food generated more than 1.1 million metric tons of carbon dioxide, which is the same as 169,000 cars driving for a full year. That also translates to 1 billion gallons of water to produce that amount of food, which is the same amount that would be used by everyone in New York City for three and a half months. The Center for Biological Diversity, they break down Thanksgiving food waste as follows. 200 million pounds of turkey are thrown out alongside with 150 million pounds of side dishes like veggies, mashed potatoes, and 14 million pounds of dinner rolls. What can we do? What can we do on the, in the individual level? to help to curb this food waste. I broke it down into three areas we can look at to eat less water 
for your Thanksgiving. In other words, to waste less food this Thanksgiving and waste less money. Consider this. Collectively, we throw away $293 million worth of turkey. It's about 40% of our turkeys that we throw away. I know that we can all do better. I know I can do better. So I broke it down into three simple uh, categories. The first is to waste less. The second is how we shop. And the last is the cooking. So first, write down a list of all the dishes on your Thanksgiving table. If I'm looking at a traditional Thanksgiving meal, but of course there's such a variation of the things that people have for Thanksgiving. But if, it, if we're looking just at the traditional, an example menu would be turkey, ham, mashed potatoes, gravy, stuffing, rolls, sweet potatoes, green bean, casserole, corn, salad, Brussels sprouts, peas, cranberry sauce, pumpkin pie, pecan pie, apple pie, and ice cream. I think that pretty much covers the most popular items served at a Thanksgiving table. Once you have that list written down, then the second step is to assess the popularity of each of those dishes. Are there any dishes that no one would miss? For example, do people at your Thanksgiving table really eat the cranberry sauce? Or what about that green bean casserole? Do you find that only one person, for example, likes that dish? Have a family meeting or take a poll with Google Forms for larger gatherings. A lot of times we just do things because that's just how they've been done, but not really stop to reflect on whether they're serving us anymore. With my own family, because we're having a very small Thanksgiving, just essentially my kids and my father and maybe one or two other people, but that is really all we're having at our table this year. So we've started to have that discussion of what are the dishes that we should make this year? What are the things that people like? I have some picky teenagers. And once I know which are the dishes that we should serve at our Thanksgiving table, if I know who likes it and how popular they are, I could then adjust the quantity of that particular dish based on that. So that's number three, to adjust your original menu to reflect the preferences of your guest, to omit unpopular dishes, to adjust the quantities, and just to reimagine the meal altogether. There was one year, or actually the last two Thanksgivings, my family spent it in New Mexico, in Santa Fe. And they didn't want any of the mashed potatoes and gravy or nobody besides me likes stuffing. So we reimagined the whole thing. Instead of having the traditional menu, we had pozole, which is something that everybody wanted and loved. And then I made myself a, a small portion of stuffing and we roasted a chicken Thanksgiving reflected the preferences of the people who were there, which in this case, it was just my three teenage kids and Michael. That would have been way too much food for us to make 
for just Michael and I to eat. So it just, it just doesn't make any sense to have those things. And we would just be setting ourselves up to throw things out or just shove it in containers and hope that we'll eventually eat it. The leftovers in our freezer, but mostly we would just get tired of it and then forget about it. But leftovers is part of the plan as well for wasting less food, and I'll get into that later. Number four would be to reevaluate the turkey size. So we collectively, as I mentioned before, we throw away $293 million worth of turkey, about 40% of turkey is thrown out. Do you manage to eat all the leftovers or do you get tired of turkey sandwiches before the meat has gone bad? Uh, do you and your guests have a plan for the turkey? One way to handle that would be to ask your guests, if you're having a larger party, to ask guests to bring containers so that they're prepared to take leftovers. Also provide recipes to send home for leftover turkey. You could delegate that task to someone in the family who's really into cooking or who's really good at that. Those are some simple ways to minimize how much turkey you're throwing out. Do you have to get the 20-pound turkey? Can you get a smaller turkey this year? So reflecting on the turkey from last year, did you really eat that much turkey? How much turkey was thrown away on people's plates? Because there's this massive turkey and we tend to give larger portions of it on people's plates and then they're not necessarily eating it either, especially kids. They're not eating that turkey. And instead, there's gobs and gobs of turkey getting thrown out. So maybe it's a year not to have a turkey, but rather to have a roasted chicken because the chickens come in much smaller size than a turkey does. Because that's the thing with turkey. It's such, they're, they're large birds. And as a result, you do find yourself needing to get a larger turkey and then setting yourself up for throwing so much of it away. And with it, throwing away dollars, water, and all the resources that it required to make that turkey. That covers my ideas to minimize the waste is the plan of your meal. What should you make? Should you make all the dishes? What quantities should you make based on the uh, preferences of your guests? And then to reevaluate your turkey size or just to reevaluate whether or not you should have turkey at all. Maybe it should be chicken. Maybe nobody really wants either and you want to do something completely different like how we did with pozole that for the last two years. The next thing is the shopping. Once you have your menu, you have the beginnings of your shopping list. And this is very similar to what I talk about when we meal plan, right? You come up with your meal plan for the week. And then from there, you shop your pantry first and your refrigerator, and then write down all the other things that you need. With the quantities, and this is if you're making one dish because it's a potluck and you're taking one dish to the family, or if you're making 10 dishes, really dialing in on the quantities so that you're not making more than what will be eaten and reflecting on whether or not 
people or yourself will eat those leftovers. So shop your pantry and refrigerator first, shop your farmer's market next, and then shop your grocery store last. I love to go to the farmer's market because not only am I supporting small scale farmers from my region, but I also have the farmer in front of me where I can ask the questions of how do they treat their soil. So I ask questions simply, are you using chemical pesticides on your farm? And it's a yes or no answer. And I find that people are trustworthy. Then the next question I ask is, are you using petroleum-based fertilizers? So I know then how they're treating their soil. Even if a farm doesn't have the official organic certified mark on their banner at the farmer's market, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not using chemicals. They're just such a small farm that they don't have the resources or the time to get that certification. It's not as important to me to have that certification at a farmer's market where I can ask the person that's standing in front of me. At a grocery store, it is important for me to see that certification because there is no one standing there. I need that third party to check to see how they're farming on my behalf and to check to see if it's in alignment with the things that are important to me. Agricultural methods I want to support that save water and grow well-being on the planet. And don't you want to bring well-being to your Thanksgiving table. I mean, for me, that is absolutely the time I really want to bring all of these pieces that are good for rivers, are good for building health of people. You know, the people who don't have to be exposed to those chemicals who are working on these farms. If more and more of our, of agriculture becomes organic, that means more farm workers have jobs that don't require them to have exposure to toxic chemicals. Because oftentimes for farm workers, it's not a choice. I know here in Oxnard, where I live, so many of our farms are using lots of chemicals, lots of fumigants, especially for strawberries. And people need jobs and they don't have a choice but to expose themselves to these chemicals. But me as a consumer, the daughter of a farm worker and granddaughter of farm workers, like I am in a situation that I can start to choose more and more of my foods that are organic, that are supporting well-being of not only soil, but the people who are working on that farm. And as a result, there's more acres and more of us who choose organic food, then that means there's more acres dedicated to those agricultural methods. And that means more people who are employed to work on farms that are growing well-being. How is that not the best way to show gratitude for where I come from, gratitude for the people who are growing and harvesting the food we're bringing to our table. I write about the best agricultural methods that we can support that include things like dry farmed, biodynamic, 
holistic manage, rotationally graze, no-till, fair trade, which is especially true for things like chocolate, sugar, tea, coffee. So these are all terms, again, that I discuss here on this podcast and also in my book. But simply, it is looking for foods that have not been treated with chemical pesticides. And that's at your farmer's market or at the grocery store looking for those USDA organic certifications or similar certifications. The last step is to cook. When we cook from scratch, as I've talked about on this podcast, we control the story our ingredients tell. Those things that I just talked about, for example, biodynamic or dry farmed, getting the sweet potatoes dry farmed and organic. Where are you getting your meat from? Is it coming from a rotationally grazed farm? These are things that when you and I go to a grocery store or go to the farmer's market or are participating in a CSA, we can reach for those ingredients that are telling those type of stories. When we cook from scratch, we have far fewer ingredients because there's no preservatives. And finally, it is to have a leftover plan. Whether you're having a small gathering just at your house for your immediate family what is your leftover plan? Because you've already worked on the front side of planning. You should have already reduced your leftovers. But we are going to have leftovers. So for example, if you are making a turkey, have some good recipes ready. Have those containers ready. Have space in the freezer where you can put these leftovers. Because after two, three days of having turkey, I think most people can't go beyond that. And if you have people over, or if you are going over to somebody's house, bring reusable containers, ask your guests to bring reusable containers for leftovers. And again, reminding you of the idea I mentioned earlier, why not give out recipes that people can use or even ask if you have an email chain happening, if it's a much larger gathering, how about ask people to provide their favorite leftover Thanksgiving recipes? And that would be a really fun exchange because why not utilize your extended family and friends to come up with some good recipes that we can use to minimize our waste this Thanksgiving? I hope that really helps. I'm going to put this together as a document and have it available for you to look at in a really easy, simple form. If you are interested in this list, look in the show notes. Happy reimagining of Thanksgiving this year. Enjoy the season, and I hope you have started to take the cues of nature around us and started to slow down. So if you haven't started to slow down just yet, I'm giving you that reminder, that nudge, that this is the time. This is the time when nature is slowing down in the winter. If you 
if you live in, in an area where there's winter. And even if you are living in a place like Australia, where you're starting to move into summertime, we can all slow down. When you're able to go deeper into fewer things, it's more flavorful, isn't it? It's just more delicious. So that has been what I've been working towards this season, and I want to continue it throughout the year and next year and the year after, is to do fewer things, but more deeply, to do fewer things deeply. I'm going to leave it there. Please share this with anybody who you know is looking for inspiration and for ideas to live more sustainably. I'll see you here next Wednesday. Be well. Let's stay connected. Sign up for my newsletter and receive more tips in your inbox weekly and 15% off your first purchase at the Eat Less Water Shop. You can also find me on your favorite social media space at Eat Less Water. Please remember to hit subscribe and leave a review, even if it's only the star rating, because every one of them will increase the chances of other like-minded folks to find us. Thank you for joining me on this journey to eat less water. Together, we will write the story of well-being for this planet we have the privilege to call home. Meet you back here every Wednesday. There is power in the collective.